if we are serious about having an inclusive society, yeah. a society that works for everybody, we have to stop telling black people what the narrative is. Just stop. Welcome to Inspiring Leaders, the podcast that shares ideas, perspectives, and best practices from great leaders around the world to help you become a more inspired leader. Hello and welcome back to the Inspiring Leaders podcast. Today, we are recording this show on what is known around the world, and particularly in the U.S., as Juneteenth. June the 19th commemorates the end of slavery in the United States. 1865, also known as Black Independence Day, the day that Abraham Lincoln, the president at that time, signed the Emancipation Proclamation. Technically, he signed it two weeks earlier, but it wasn't announced, particularly to the people in Galveston, Texas, until Major General Gordon Granger rode into Galveston, Texas, and told the slaves that they were emancipated. There are celebrations happening across the United States, across Canada, and across the world today, and we are bringing you another episode of Inspiring Leaders today to mark that and to talk about that, because right now, racism is, I'm going to say, as big or bigger of an issue than COVID-19, which has completely changed the world. What an amazing start to 2020 it has been. And what an amazing guest I've got to introduce you today. Anybody who's ever listened to this show before and knows our past episodes will know this guy. I welcome him with open arms. This is one of my favorite uh, guests that we had on Inspiring Leaders. I can't even remember. What was the episode number that we had you on before, Cash? Leadership. <laughs> it, was inspiring leadership. leadership. it was on Inspiring Leaders. I don't remember the episode number. We've got Major Cash coming back to us as a guest. Cashmill McKenna uh, served in the Canadian military and also served as, um, as a JAG lawyer for the Canadian Armed Forces. And uh, I remember when I met him, um, he told me that everybody just called him Captain Cash. And I thought that was so cool. And then it was maybe a couple of years after that, wasn't it, Cash, that, uh, that you got promoted and you got promoted to the, to the level of major. And That's I called great. you up and I said, I can't believe it. I get to call you Major Cash now. <laughs> so Major Cash joins me again. Man, it's so good to hear your voice and to see you it's, on this. It's wonderful to see you, Terry. It's wonderful to see you considering um, all uh, the chaos that has ensued our lives and uh, and how 2020 has unfolded unpredictably, but hopefully constructively looking forward and uh, seeing uh, how uh, we, we're going to evolve, right? Um, you, you, you absolutely nailed it when you said sometimes just, we just got to get out of, out of our comfort zone yeah. um, and, and, and open up to the possibility of uh, expanding what, uh, what is good for all of us, right? And so this is great. It's great to be here. I am, I'm very excited to be here. It's, a, it's an opportunity to discuss something that I think is, um, needs a lot of discussion right now. And I want to thank you, Cash, because uh, I've been sitting on the podcast thing for a while now, and my intention in 2020 was to use the podcast as a forum to discuss things that need to be discussed rather than just putting out an episode because another week had gone by. You know, so let's use this as a forum to actually have conversations that are really needed. What's happened since May 25th and even, well, long, long before May 25th, but May 25th was the, the, um, the straw that broke the proverbial camel's back. And um, that was the day that, that an officer, which I won't even bother to name, um, in uh, Minneapolis, kneeled down on the neck of George Floyd, took the breath away from him, and, uh, and killed him as he begged for his life. And um, something remarkable happened that day in that uh, the floodgates were broken open, and uh, the, the protests that happened, not only in Minneapolis, not only across the every single center in the United States, this country here in Canada, all across the world, it was for several weeks before that that I was watching what was unfolding with another case that uh, started in Georgia. 
uh, February 23rd. Ahmad Arbery was killed after, after um, and again, I'm not mentioning the people's names because I don't think they deserve the uh, publicity on this, but um, after a citizen and his father chased him down and killed him. Why? Because he was jogging in their neighborhood. So they chased him down, they stalked him, and they, um, they took him down and uh, took his life. And so as I was watching that unfold, then this thing happened with uh, George Floyd. Um, there have been other situations just a few days ago in Atlanta, Georgia. Uh, Rayshard Brooks was shot and killed by Atlanta police after trying to flee from arrest, uh, shot in the back um, while trying to run away, and deadly force was used. And, and, you know, there are other situations here in Canada. It's not just in the United States. Um, this is true. You know, I, I saw just uh, a couple of days ago an uh, incident that happened March 15th in Fort McMurray, dash cam footage showing RCMP officers tackling and beating Indigenous Chief Alan Adam, who was not resisting arrest, who was doing nothing more than trying to get into his vehicle and was being, um, by all, all accounts, uh, was being questioned um, extensively over a license plate sticker and um, he was attacked and beaten violently to the point where he's had uh, some pretty significant facial lacerations and stitches and all sorts of injury in that case and there are more there are many many more racism exists we are here to talk today about racism and I have uh, been prompted to talk about this and asked um, by my good friend Cashmill McKenna, Major Cash, to come on the show and to um, to talk about this, to get this difficult conversation started, to argue with each other, to hug each other virtually because we're still maintaining six foot uh, distance. This is true. So, so uh, how about this? The white guy stops talking, and I turn it over to my good friend who actually. Um, uh, has lived some of this and has a lot to say about this and has a great deal of passion about this. Cash, what do you have to say? Where, where do you start with this conversation? So, you know, um, one, one, one of the most revealing thing that has happened so far, I mean, we, you know, as Canadians, uh, have neighbors across the, the border on the South, and we watch uh, sometimes perhaps almost sedated over, over the many years about uh, some of the brutality and some of the completely unnecessary force and, uh, 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 you know, attack, literally, literally black people being hunted. We see it, they have shows about it. It's called cops, where uh, predominantly you have white policemen um, basically infringing. As a lawyer, I watch the show sometimes, and I ask myself, why are they stopping these people doing all this stuff? All of this to say that Canadians have always had this very comfortable sort of, you know, drive-in kind of show that we sit in our, in, our, in our cars comfortably away from the screen and we watch this thing. And, and, we, and we, you know, for, for whatever reason, whether intended or not, have always assumed that it happens there. It doesn't happen here. And if it happens here, we are told that it's not the same. And so this, this recent eruption and, and brutality of a black man being literally uh, uh, killed on video opened that floodgate. And the question then, then now we are asking ourselves is, is there racism in Canada? And I find that Completely um, almost surreal, Terry. Like, really surreal. Because here's the thing. In fact, at some point, I started almost wanting to believe that, yeah, Canada racism is different from Americans. Americans, you know, we see it. It's brutal. We see people get stopped for minor traffic incident and guns get drawn and, and people are handcuffed and beaten and whatever. But somehow it almost felt like we don't see that stuff here. The truth of the matter is that we here in Canada, black people have lived experiences that mirrors that, okay? The, the, anybody who tells you otherwise is either ex have, you know, a sufficient dose amount of privilege 
that they can't understand what it means when you are black, period. It's, it, you know, the fear of, over time has always been, wow, are we playing a race card? No, it's not a race card. We don't choose, I don't choose to be black. I was born this way and I love being black. I was born this way. But I have to navigate the world with people having to, to ask me to justify. And decisions are made about me or my kind that ultimately has nothing to do with my capacity, my conduct, but just because I showed up black. And so that, that we can even afford to ask the question, the luxury of saying, do we really have racism in Canada? It's also quite telling because my lived experience says, yeah. Now, one of the, one of the things I, I, I had to admit to is, I personally, I don't know how other black people feel, I feel that the, the only subtle difference between the Canadian racism and American racism is that Canadian black people in general like to get along. We like to get along. And so getting along means that sometimes when we see something that is racially motivated, we are the first to find all sorts of rationale. Well, he didn't mean it. Maybe he was just trying to understand, right? And so the more we do that over time, we, 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 have, we ourselves as a people have become desensitized from that. Like I know when I walk into a store and I'm not properly dressed by that, I'm not wearing a shirt, I'm not wearing a t-shirt, jeans, I know I'm being watched. And I'm being watched from the moment I get in the store until I come get out. I know I've walked into spaces where people have literally looked at me as, can I help you? I walk into the Chateau Laurier in my, in my comfortable slacks, and the doorman said, is there anything I can help you with? White people walk past me. Nobody asked them that. But of course, the Canadian thing, we, you know, sometimes that myth of we're always polite and overly too polite, it's also part of our DNA. It's like, okay, all right, let it, let it slide. Making it slide hasn't solved the problem. It has only meant that certain people have assumed that we don't feel it. We don't experience it. We don't get angry. Because, I, because I, 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 there was a moment, I'll tell you my trigger, and then, you know, so we can, we can advance this conversation. My trigger didn't even happen when I saw the video of the man, of a black man being killed. It didn't. My trigger happened when a couple of days later, they had a press conference. The DA's office had a press conference and the whole community, at this point, the protest was just, you know, ramping up. There was an expectation that finally, they're going to hold this murderers, gangster, police, individuals, to account. It doesn't always mean that they're actually going to jail, but at least charge them. Because if I hit somebody on the street or walk into a bar and get into a, a fight with somebody, I guarantee you, they won't, they won't tell the rest of the world, they won't tell the, the victims that, look, let's look at all sides. We have to investigate. I'll be in jail first. I know this because I work within that field. So here comes a DA, and after five, six, seven minutes, they talk about how this is so unprecedented and it's very difficult to watch. Then they said, we're still investigating. And that's that really got you. <laughs> that. That, was the, that was a straw that yeah. I lost it. Not again. And, yeah. Like, no, because I'm, you know, as, as, as somebody who understands law yeah. and have practiced law for almost 20 years, I've seen people charge for less. I've seen people charge after the fact. In, in other words, somebody, somebody would call a policeman and say, hey, he hit me. And the policeman shows up, there's no evidence. This is why they should investigate and say, let's see evidence. That, no, they usually grab somebody and bring them to jail, especially if you're black, I can guarantee you. Yeah, I was going to say, even, even not charged, hauled in without charges. Yeah. Right. 
the number of black people who have been put in jail before they're charged, trust me. So when I listen to that, because for me, for the first time, and, and I believe that police, police members and really trained professional police members offer a very valuable service. I believe that with my whole heart. Yeah. Listen, yeah. I, I do, I was, I do I was, as well. Right. I, I was in, you know, I've been part of law enforcement. I've been part of the judiciary uh, system. Uh, I understand the value of that. I get it. I believe in law and order. I get that. But here's the thing. A man was kneeling on the neck of another human being with his hands cuffed at the back. Yeah. And the usual defense like, for example, Eric Garner, when Eric Garner was choked and killed, they said he was resisting the arrest and they were trying to protect themselves. They protected themselves so, so well that they killed a human being. Yeah. And that was a justified defense, right? But for the first time, we saw a man who had his hands in his pocket with the smirk on his face while a grown-ass black man was crying out for a mother. Yeah. That was when I lost it. So you and I talked before. You and I talked about the fact that it is the, this, the fact that everybody's got a, a smartphone in their pocket these days. That's the difference. This problem has been around for decades and decades. Of course. Over 100 years. Of course. You know, it, as long as this society has been around, our Western society. And it's not just an issue that happens in the United States. And it's not just an issue that happens in Canada. And you know what, that's why we're talking today, because this show, um, even though we record this show in Canada, um, this show actually has more listeners in the United States than it does in Canada. Um, it's got more listeners internationally than it does in yeah. Canada. So, um, but at the same time, when I'm watching CNN, and I'm watching all of these um, protests happening around the world, they're happening in London, and they're happening in Paris, and they're happening in Hong Kong, and uh, New Zealand, and uh, Australia, and they're happening in Africa, and they're happening everywhere. And so it's good that we reach, uh, what is it, 150 countries now with this podcast? So mm -hmm. we need to get the, name, the voice out there, and we need people to hear that, um, yeah, we have some differences here in Canada, but this is an international issue. Yeah, and, and, and you know and, what? And, and the black people are not immune to this, right? Like, right. I mean, so, 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 so back to, to, to why we're seeing more of these type of violent violent actions against black people right the, yeah the, the, it's the exposed more we see right it. but 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 this is why the, the systemicness of racism has survived well intact because there haven't been any witnesses from the victim's side exactly yes that's it bingo bingo right yeah. the victims have never ever been good witnesses yeah right because the system, this is again part of the, the privilege system and why the word systemic ought to be understood clearly. Yeah. Right? And this is a good design. point because everybody's saying there are 20 different definitions of systemic racism. So uh, please continue. This is really so, important. So, so essentially the system is built in such a way that if I interact with a police officer, private citizen Joe, and a police officer, no matter how corrupt and completely, absolutely brutal that police officer is, no matter how vile their intentions are, there's a cloak that the system have that covers that policeman. So that policeman's word against mine, I wouldn't win. It's as simple as that. Yeah. This, this is why it's systemic. The systemicness of it is that the system has designed it saying, hey, you're talking to a person in authority. That person who is trained for 18, 18 whole weeks. All of a sudden, he may be that class bully. He may be that, that uh, I mean, closet racist. He may be that awful human being. But the moment he put on that, uh, police uniform and put on a badge and a gun, the system says we should trust him more. And we all do. The problem with what if that systemic 
complete blanket that cloaks this person is false. And so for the first time, this, the system did not anticipate the availability, the free availability of a, a third-party witness. It's, you know, let me correct myself. When I said the victims, there were no witnesses. The victims know what happens to them. Oh, yeah. Right? And they tell people, yeah, this is what happened. It's, it's like all of a sudden we've discovered that some priests were molesting kids. We already knew this shit. Right? The only difference is that now we have evidence, a third party evidence, right? We have certain type of evidence that is hard to refute. When you, when you as a human being. And hard being, to stop, hard to stop. Right. Yeah, yeah. Because of the internet, when you have, right? it's everywhere. Right. When you as a human being stand and say, okay, maybe I want to believe, I want to trust that the police, something happened, right? In fact, a couple of friends that I talked to, and I had a very, 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 a difficult conversation with some of those friends and then I have to because I, I have had enough and 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 the point that we're making is Cashmel you know as a lawyer you know maybe the other angles in the camera we didn't see the other evidence we haven't met or reviewed and in the past I always say yeah you're right you're right what if the angle of the camera was different and we didn't see something else this time we have a video that says all of that is bullshit. Yeah, yeah. There's, there's, really there's six different angles at the same time. Right. It's yeah. bullshit because yeah. every time they try to muddy up the angle, what you know, George Orwell type of don't believe what your eyes have seen, we'll tell you what we'll give you the narrative of what your eyes have seen. This video says no, we can't. Yeah, what, is, look, what we saw was know, patently unreasonable downright. Right, yeah. right. And, 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 and for me, it's not only from a legal perspective, understanding that that whole lame excuse that we're going to investigate, we're going to look both sides, is a patently, patently bullshit, right? Mm -hmm. Right. It's the fact that when I look at that man, I see me. That was, it, it, it was it's such a powerful experience. Right. Because I see me. And when I see me, then I think of my daughter watching the six o'clock news. It's not right. Yeah, yeah. That, that is the point. Right? And so if, even for our allies, one of, one of, one of the most powerful um, uh, uh, social media posts I saw was from an Italian, uh, a white Italian mother who literally was weeping as he posted this message and talked about how he has a 19 year old son and he showed a picture of the son in the post. Yeah. And he said, if somebody knelt on my son's neck and killed him, I would do more than burn your city down. I would do more than loot your neighborhood. Now, I am sure she is not advocating looting. She's no. not advocating burning. But, but it's because the point at some of, point, yeah, how right? Hits. At some point, yeah. right? When when people when the when the usual narrative, the usual mainstream media want to tell us, oh, but we support you, but look at all this looting. We support you, but this is not right. They forget. They forget that. One of the most powerful statements Martin Luther once to ever was quoted to have said was, protest is the only tool available for the disenfranchised. The voice of the unheard, yeah. Right? For the disenfranchised, the people who, it doesn't matter. Whatever you do, you stand the shoot. You love the shoot. Let me go back just a sec. Uh, you, you were talking about the cops, the police. Because that's really where this whole, that's where this, the, the straw that broke the camel's back came from. Um, I want to add something there. And these are just my observations. I'm not an authority. I haven't written a book or studied this. No research. Um, and, and I'm a white guy. So take it for what it's worth. But I see that there's something else that's happened. And that is that when you, when you hire a cop, when you promote a cop, usually and historically, it is very strong, capable, big white guys that are hired. Of course. 
right? That's, I mean, it's changing now and that's yeah. great. And I love seeing the chief of the Different Ottawa bodies. Police Department, Toronto yeah. Police Department, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, very cool to see. Um, there's diversity coming in, but what are they trained on? Assertiveness. Take control of a situation, right? Like, I don't know about your situation. Probably, right. Exactly. If I get pulled over for a ticket and I try getting out of the car, I'm hearing very loudly and very authoritatively that I'm staying exactly where I am, yeah. keeping, my, you know, keeping my hands up where they're visible and the rest of it. So that's their training. But with great power, which is what they train, with great power comes great responsibility. Now, I will acknowledge it's not just the cops. That's really where we see it because they have that authority and we're seeing it with these videos that are coming in and that's the straw that broke the camel's back. But when we talk about systemic racism, that means that it's happening in our organizations, in our institutions, in our government, in our society. So it's not just the cops. And I think that a lot of this stems from, um, I'm going to use a strong word here, an ignorance an ignorance of a bifurcation of, of our society. That person doesn't look like me, coupled with an unhealthy competition that's happening. Competition that's become a religion on television and in these big sporting events. People have gone overboard with competition. And when they see somebody who's not like them and there's this sense of competition. There's a sense of superiority that starts coming over. I'm looking at somebody who doesn't look like me. They're different than me, but I want to be better than them. And if I have any sense of low self-confidence, then all of a sudden I have a short fuse. And something happens and I want to demonstrate that I'm in control and I'm in power, whether you're a cop or whether you're a politician. Let me make another point quite clear. Yeah, yeah, please. Thanks. Um, you describe aptly what the dynamic and the relationship that exists between the cop, the cop that think they're a superior human being versus the person who apparently and presumably is the taxpayer. They're supposed to be protecting and serving. What the, 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 the whole, this whole cop culture is just, I mean, all of a sudden we we ask ourselves, what, whatever happened to protecting self? But yeah. but put that put that aside for a second. The point I want to make is this: nobody's born a racist. I know this. Yeah, I know this. Yeah, I've seen so my kids. You know, from from the time they were born up to this, and when my daughter's going to be uh, thirteen uh, next month, I said sixteen because she's thirteen, acted sixteen. And I know this. I know nobody's born a racist. But when you when you live in a culture where you have been groomed, okay, you have been told that they are dangerous. One of my favorite comedians once said, and I quote, paraphrase more like, said, the most dangerous place for a black person to be is in the mind of the white person. And I'm going, huh? what does that mean? And he explains, the way racist, racist work by far, at least based on some of the evidence, is that they make a decision about you before they even meet you, or before they get to know you. They've already decided. They walk into the store, you're black, yeah, can you really afford this? Why? what if I really can afford it? You don't know that. Ask me, right? Yeah. So when you make that decision already, you, so in your mind, the reason why when you see a black person, a white pe person will see a black person and then imagine that somebody's about to rob him, it's in his mind. It's of in course. his mind. It's it a has story nothing. he's telling himself uh, subconsciously. Right. Yeah. So that is the most dangerous place. It's not. Because sometimes some of the same 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 people, when once they get to interact and have an opportunity to have a healthy relationship with a black person, a Chinese person, a, a, another person, they'll tell you, "Oh, they're not so bad after all. They were never bad in the first place." Right, because we're we're all so much more alike. Right, than, it's than all different. in the mind. So, for this this guys who are standing there, just think about it. 
think about it for a second. We talk about Rashad. Rashad, the most recent one in Atlanta, the guy was drunk. Yeah, yeah. Let's, let's admit that. Yeah. He drove into a parking lot. He was so aware of his state of consciousness that he stopped. In order to stop being a danger to other people, he sat in his car and was sleeping it off. Mm-hmm. I guarantee you, I talked to the last few days to about a couple of people, and then and six out of every 10 person I talked to tell me they've had an incident where they were a little drunk and they stayed in their car and goes off. They didn't, they didn't die. Yeah. Right? They didn't die. Yeah. That's the only crime. It's not like this guy was fleeing away from murder. It's not like this guy's just murdered nine people and had a gun in his hand. And so he's a violent criminal. He was parked in a parking lot. So conversation was going on on CNN. And you, just to tell you how the, the, the narrative shifts, right? Yeah. Um, uh, Angela Rye, who is one of the uh, uh, contributors to CNN, also a social community activist, asked the question. I mean, was asked to, to, to describe why this is different from George Floyd. And she was very eloquent, but she was also passionate. And she talked about this should not have happened. This is a white man who saw a black man and was afraid for his life for no other reason, right? Right, yes. Then, then Alison uh, uh, Camerata, one of the hosts, White privilege. Didn't, didn't even realize she was doing it. I'm sure she hasn't even acknowledged it. She listened to this black woman describe the same over and over again. And when she stopped, and the host, of course, she needed to control the narrative. And what, what Angela was saying was not part of the narrative. They have 15 seconds. They need to fix their narrative. And it's like, yes, 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 we understand. But. Right, yeah. Right, I know what you're talking about. Yes, yeah, we understand, but but yeah, yes, but he got what? shot in the back while running away. Right, right? see, he's coming to, and then he said, "Yeah, but he was driving dangerously." No, the guy was. You see how the narrative changed? The narrative. It's not, the not well thought out. That, that's an the impulsive narrative. reaction rather than no, a well but, but thought you, out you, response. Terry, I, I disagree with you. You you think it's impulse is not. It, this, is, this is something they've done over and over again. They've been trained. This, no, but what I, I mean is it represents like an internal uh, perspective, right? It's bringing go. out an unconscious bias. There you go. And, she, and, needs, she needs the narrative to fix the rationale. Right, but and, what we and, need and, is to right. stop and think so that, there you go. so that the unconscious bias is exposed and we think <clears throat> rationally and we think about, wait a second. A second. Right? Shot in the back All because of sleeping in a car? Come All on. she had to do was to say, oh, I hear you. Yeah. I hear you. That's yeah. it. You don't have to tell me what I saw. Yeah. You don't have to tell black women what her experience is. That's a black woman who's talking about the fact that you're killing my brothers, you're killing my father, you're killing my right husband, yes. right? Yeah. Then she had the audacity to say, but because... This was related to a crime, and so that is the reason why maybe yeah. the police were justified. And Angela, who has done, who was very formidable, immediately responded and said, do you know Floyd, that young man who walked into a black church, right? Right. Walked into a black church, sat and fellowshiped with them, was very, 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 very meditative, meditative and then got up and shot nine of them. Shot nine of them. The anniversary was only a few days ago. Yeah. Nine of them. When the police were called in, the police arrested this man, this young man, peacefully, then drove him to a restaurant to grab something to eat. If you don't understand what white what privilege is, ladies and gentlemen, I present to you white privilege yeah. and the black experience. That's it. Because, because somehow the guy who kills nine people in a church, unarmed parishions in a church, yeah. gets the royal arrest. Yeah, with uh, Wendy's drive-thru. Um, I, I want to mention something. I was talking to a, a friend 
I think it was about a year ago, he was telling me that he had an opportunity to witness an autopsy, part of his medical training. And as he sat and watched the, um, the physician who was conducting the autopsy, he actually took note that the, the deceased, the cadaver, was actually um, a fairly attractive woman. And he watched as the, um, the scalpel was brought right down over her forehead and across her face, and the skin peeled back. But what he said that happened at that point really struck me. He said that all of a sudden a realization hit him, that when you did this to a, a human being, you, there's no way of being able to tell whether that person was black or white or green or purple. If you remove the millimeters of skin that are our outer coating, we are yeah. all exactly yes. the yeah. same, right? My, my spleen is like your spleen. My liver's like your liver. It has to um, be. And, and you know what? We all want the same things. We are all people who uh, every human being is trying to avoid misery and trying to maximize happiness. So our motivations, our physical and our motivations are all the same. The only thing that's really different here are experiences and our perspectives. That's the only real differences. And that is where the beauty of diversity really takes place. When we have a group that's all the same as us, we get problems like these uh, white supremacy groups, right? Because they they saying, oh yeah, I get you. Uh, you're just like me. I want more people like me around me. But when we get other perspectives and other experiences together, that's where doors open and that's where we grow. That's what we've always said on Inspiring Leaders, right? Diversity is the magic that helps us to grow and move forward as a human race. So I, I think as I'll come back to it, it's a, it's a delusion. It is a delusion that somebody is, is somehow not likable or needs to be suspected. There, there's this bifurcation that they are different than me because there's a physical uh, difference upon, right? The, the book, the cover of the book is different than my cover of my book. The most challenging and the most vile thing about racist actions it's not that they make distinctions of different people. That's not the point. In fact, the human mind and the human intelligence uh, is designed precisely for that. It's what we do with it, right? It's like a knife. You can use a knife to create something beautiful, carve something beautiful out of wood, or you can use a knife to also destroy. Oh, I love that. It's the yeah. destructive part of racism. Is what we are talking about, right? Look, yes, make distinction about me, but don't make it solely on the basis that you just don't like my color. That's it, okay? I'm, I, I welcome any kind of you know thoughtful consideration that leads to an action that doesn't necessarily please me, yeah. right? Like you know, I've 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 had lovers in my life. I've had friends in my life i've had i've traveled to different parts of the world and i've met people that i like and people that i don't like but usually it's based on my interaction with them yeah. obviously if i've met somebody who absolutely despised me on the basis of my color you can guarantee that he's not part of people that i go to yeah to the, friends the christmas cards aren't going to come no no absolutely <laughs> not no no holding hands here no singing from bayer but here's the thing though yeah. The actions of a racist is vile and fundamentally fueled by ignorance and a sense of incapacity yeah. to understand the other in, in a climate where a narrative is molded to make them feel comfortable. Why, why would a person who is discriminating against me feel angry because I call him a racist? Because they know, they know that their judgment of me is inadequate, but they don't want to accept the fact that that is exactly what you're doing. To ask the good minister, Sanjay, to apologize to somebody whom he believes is a racist, is bullshit. Yeah, yeah, the what happened thing, yesterday in the House of Commons, right, right on. bullshit, honestly. Yeah. If he's not a racist. Yves Blanchette, uh, leader of the Bloc Quebecois, saying we want a sincere and deep apology. No, it shouldn't be nothing. This is I exactly love what I'm Jagmeet Singh's response. He says, I will never apologize for standing no, up against racism. We, no, because we're tired of this, this bullshit. 
We're yeah. tired of making people comfortable. Look, yeah. I I am tired. Sorry of to hurt your feelings, man, but racism is right. more important. Yeah. Right. So so at some point, I mean, in the last few days, I, you know, I've had this conversation of of uh, of uh, of camera with you. Yeah. Uh, that I have to do some introspection because there were certain people in my life, very close to me in my life. Yeah. Who didn't feel that there was any need to reach out to me. Um, and when I, when I asked them, I asked them, so why not? It's just, yeah, but your cash meal. Yeah, your cash, your major cash. <laughs> right? You can handle anything. You're Superman. And, and, and then I started thinking, huh. I mean, I like the idea that I think that people, are, people perceive me confident enough that I can, I can navigate through dangerous and challenging and perhaps sometimes vile social engagement. Yeah. But it doesn't take away the fact that I'm still a human being and I experience it. Yeah. And so the message I got was sometimes when we choose not to call racists when they are acting so, we are complicit in their actions. Yeah. We are enabling them. Okay. And that enabling, I know a lot of people that I've talked to that are black. I'll tell them in the same thing. And, and I'm telling you right now, I get to the point where I'm like, okay, no, enough. I'm not going to make you feel comfortable because what you're doing to me is displeasing to me. And I've taken it for so long. It's okay. I have. And the officer, people are shocked. and went, oh, but you are okay. But you're a cash meal. No, it, it's not okay. Yeah. It, it was never okay in the first place, right? This is exactly the same thing relationships that uh, that abusers and victims have right yes yes you go yeah no no you know he only hits me when he's drunk yeah but but he means well like he's a good provider like seriously when he's not drunk he's a good provider right yeah you know so some 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 of us black people have friends who you know they mean well they mean well they really don't mean meant to call me nigger or treat me bad. But, you know, sometimes, you know, it's just for laughs, for the jokes, right? Yeah. And that shit, that shit has to stop. It has to stop. And part of this conversation that I hope we're all going through and having is that let's all do some, you know, sit rep. Let's right. check each other. Uh, and let me just cover a couple things here. Here's what I see that's being done, right? This is the stuff that I'm seeing that's happening out there. People that are responsible for policy and reform are finally starting to talk. And I don't know if some of that is that they're being shamed into it or they feel that the, the tides have turned and now they have to. You know what? Let's forget that whole conversation. Police forces across Canada and the United States are announcing reforms. Um, here in Canada, our Canadian government has responded. June 2nd, uh, Justin Trudeau acknowledged systemic racism exists in Canada's police forces and across the country. He's calling for reform. Uh, June 15th, just a few days ago, Mayor of Montreal, Valerie LaPlante, uh, promises reform after a report finds that racism has been neglected for years. The Supreme Court of Canada yesterday, they announced their intentions to diversify the highest court in Canada. Cash, any comments on that? Well, you know, the only thing I can quickly say about that is, I mean, first of all, you know, again, I'm not shocked. I'm not shocked. I'm not surprised. Uh, and, 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 and I appreciate and I applaud the Chief Justice uh, comments. Um, hopefully it, it would move the yardstick. But yeah. here's, here's my reality, my lived experience. I've been practicing law for almost 20 years. Yeah. I've always seen black lawyers and black jurists in the profession. The fact that we are all just beginning to realize that we should be more diversified, for me, means nothing unless that is actually followed by a concrete action, okay? Because yeah. one of the that's, things I said it. to you before is this, you can, you, can you can decide right now as a, an organization or or an institution to say, oh, Black Lives Matter, we're going to hire more Black people. But if you bring them into your fold and you do nothing, if you do not empower them, if you don't give them the capacity to also become part of the decision-making process, yes, all you're doing is we're going to, re we're going to repeat this whole thing. Make space for them to be them rather than trying go. to dilute them into being what everybody no, else is. What was my I, analogy on this one before? 
<laughs> oh, something said, about if, rum. I if you take something the, about rum. I, I, well, it's always about rum, my friend. But I said, if you take the finest Jamaican rum and pour it into a glass of mud, you're going to get mud. And if, mud. You, if, if, you, if you hang nice, pretty signs on the front of your store and say that we're all for Black Lives Matter and the rest of it, um, but you bring somebody in, and then you just continue doing what you've always done. It's going to be pouring that run. That's the mind. history. That is my lived experience from the time it. I was in Bay Street right through the time I was in the military. Yep. This is always been my history. And here's the thing. I think that what we are asking for, and the question has always become, now what? What we are asking for, and what I'm hoping that is going to happen is that. Yes, please. Yeah. We have to move past the platitude. We have to move past that my best friend is a black person we have to move past yes i understand you but there are no buts here okay if we are serious about having an inclusive society yeah. a society that works for everybody we have to stop telling black people what the narrative is just stop like let ask how are you feeling today what is your contribution? How, what do you think you have contributed to this? Yeah. Because if you don't do this, all you're telling me is that you're going to bring, in, bring me in, just like the chief of, of, of RCMP, who tells the rest of the forces that, yeah, we don't have systemic racism, but we may have unconscious bias. Here's the thing. It's easy to make those platitudes, to make those statements. What is important is that we need to be honest with ourselves and say, if black lives matter, it should matter in the boardroom, it should matter in the training room, it should matter in the shop floor, it should matter in the restaurant. It's, I shouldn't be walking to a restaurant thinking that I am going to be marginalized. I shouldn't walk to the store thinking I'm going to be frisky. And I shouldn't be scared when I see a cop following me, thinking that maybe just maybe I'll make it home today. You're right. And you know, you and I, um, we said before we started recording this show, if we have disagreements, that's healthy debate. That is good and it's where it should be. I'm going to respectfully disagree with you when it comes to the commissioner, the new commissioner of the RCMP. I believe that, uh, that she is part of the solution. She's been brought in because of her views on diversification and because of her ref uh, ideas for reform. And uh, I think the comments that we, we heard were more of a reflection of the fact that there's so many different definitions of this systemic racism. Do we have unconscious bias? Absolutely, it's there. And we're going to do something about it. No, and, and, and you okay. know what, though? I did, you know, let, me, let me add to that, right? Yeah. So, so here's the thing. I, I've never, ever, ever, I, and I hope I, my suggestion is not to say that she doesn't get it. I know she gets it. My concern is that sometimes, and this has been the point I've, I've been trying to sort of refine in the last yeah. few days, right? My concern is that uh, when, when, when we clinically um, wrap the ugliness of racism, yeah. we might miss all the opportunities that this moment brings, yeah. okay? She, she is still very capable of doing a job and she is what, look, I, like at some point, I, this, this is my also lived experience. At some point when I was in the job, I always saw myself and some of my mates, the colleagues would disagree. But I always saw myself as an outsider coming in. And I was always, I, I felt like I could challenge anything when, it, when something was not going right. But there were moments that I just sunk from the same book. And I didn't do it because I thought it was right. Yeah. But... I didn't have any other way to narrate that, that particular moment, right? But eventually, I think that the, what I, what my, my, my submission to you on that point is, I think that we need to acknowledge the unconscious bias that exists. It does, okay. period. Yeah. But we also need to be bold and courageous enough to call what spade is okay and if and if you see spade just call it i mean i know because because we we you know sometimes it's more it's it's also important to to be to be, be diplomats and articulate properly and not offend everybody i get it and we shouldn't offend everybody just because we can what i'm saying though is that 
there's more to like if 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 we start wrapping stuff in too fine of a box, we are good. The message the messaging out there is, you know, maybe this is always unconscious bias, and which is true. You see, the thing about racists is that they don't always have to act, but when we catch them, when we see them act, and we say, yeah, but in the past he's never ever done that. Like you know, like Michael's always been nice. There's a tendency for us to say, well, maybe it's not racism, and that is a problem because if he slaps her one time out of anger, even though he's been nice. The last five years, it's still assault. Trust me, I've probably I've okay. defended people on that basis. Let, let me uh, let me let's end off on what can be done because uh, so far we're hearing things like um, banning those clearly brutal practices like chokeholds and gunning down fleeing suspects. Okay, come on, let's get off of it. Those are like the that's like the bare minimum. That's the starting point. Have you heard about this boycott for Black Lives? Have you heard about this? No. This is a, a new initiative. I just saw it in the last couple of days. It is uh, launched to avoid doing business with companies where racism is known to exist or where people are being silent. And they're also looking at expanding it to supporting or shunning celebrities and politicians that are either for or against this whole thing. So, so my, That's my pretty only, bold. I know, but, but the, my, my quick comment on that is not. The moment you started to expand it on it, um, I, I, I just realized that in fact I had a, a, an hour, two hours ago, I had a conversation with a, a very good um, friend and young brother of mine. Yeah. Um, and, and because somebody had inadvertently invited me to join a Facebook group called Connect, and I did. And, and, and after over less than 24 hours, I saw those postings that are saying, you know, I want a trainer but I, I only want black trainers. I want to buy something. I only want, and I thought, I'm not sure. Really? I'm not sure. And, 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 and I, I like the, the spirit behind it. I get it. I understand mm -hmm. that it is important to support and promote people who are bold enough to take decisions that, that is inclusive. Yes. My concern is, is that, we have to be very careful not to alienate people who are still trying to understand how to work with us, right? So, um, you know, if you, if, yes, there are some people who have in the past, their actions, their, their services have been predicated on a, a level of discrimination and racist action that makes them vile. But, a good commanding officer once shared a secret with me, and uh, I think it, it holds true today. And that is, we don't make peace with our friends. We never make peace with our friends. Right. We make peace with our enemies. Love it. And if we are going to run into a silo and shun white people and their business because we don't, we want to support our own business, we are not part of that solution anymore. Yeah. Okay. It is. It is. It is. It, it doesn't have to be some mutually exclusive club where, if I shop at a white store, that potentially can provide the service that I have uh, a need for, that I can be supportive of my black community. That's I. 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 I don't get it. I don't see the rationale. Maybe yeah. somebody's going to educate me. And if anybody's out there who want to educate me, please, I'm. I'm willing to learn. But what I'm saying is this, that we should be very careful and we should be building bridges instead of silos. Oh, love it. Love it. Can I segue? Can I build on that? Yes. Because you just took the words out of my mouth. I think um, uh, if I'm right, and like I said, I'm not a researcher. I'm, I haven't written any books on this. But if I'm right about the fact that this really stems from uh, a delusional look at the world, not understanding the commonalities, not understanding the value that we have right here, the value of 
of uh, black and white together, or as I said to you before the show started, the, the brilliant Oreo cookie that we've got here, because black, black and white is better together, right? That's where Oreo cookies have really figured yeah. it out. But I think if, if that's really truly the case, that it's, it's ignorance and it's just a lack of understanding of what's going on, probably I think the biggest thing that needs to happen is communication. And well, I'm going you know, to I'm gonna, I'm gonna put a little comma there yeah. and I'm going to build on what you said before, which is it's not about, about um, those in, in their position of privilege communicating down to somebody else. This is about listening. Yeah. It's a time now to get together because that's how you solve when you're, when you're delusional about something, when you're misunderstanding, misapprehending, you need to understand. So you need to ask questions and you need to hear. So what, what, one of the caveats that I want to add to the last statement I made about whether or not this is a good thing. And I, I'm still sticking to my point about it's better to build communities and build bridges instead of silos uh, is that I get where that frustration is coming from, right? Just like I don't support looting in any form or shape. I don't support any type of, of um, violence during protest. But I see where that is coming from. And sometimes that is also part of it. It's the pain and frustration. Right. It's that thing that says that, you know, I'm going to walk into a Korean store to buy a hair product for my daughter. And I'm looked at as if I'm about to rob the place. You think about it for a second, right? This is where the frustration comes from. Because some of those businesses don't even use the products they sell to the community they live in, they, they, they sell this product in. I, I can tell a number of black uh, hair product shops that is owned by Koreans, and they don't hire black people to work in those stores. So sometimes part of it is also to understand where this anger, this, you, you, you nailed it. It's about communication and listening. We have to understand where this is coming from. Because in some cases, it is true that we, we are happy to spend our dollars in, in institutions and, 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 and uh, 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 you know, stores that have zero respect for us. But they're more than happy to take our money. Yeah. Right? While they enrich themselves. That is where the anger is coming from. That anger, though, as much as it is, it can be, you can, one can understand where it's coming from. It is important not to make the anger itself part of the solution, right? Because when, when you react in anger and all your frustrations are coming out, instead of trying to find a way to constructively solve the problem, you destroy. This is why you see the looting. Like the Wendy's that this, this, this gentleman yeah. was shot at went up in flames. Yeah. Let's assume yeah. that Emotions we find out that that, that, that that Wendy's was owned by a black businessman and that was his first business. Oh. Right? Yeah. And, 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 and you go, yeah, but, you know, maybe they shouldn't have killed him in, the, in that parking lot. I get it. I understand it. The, 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 there, there are limits to human experience and bottled up anger. Okay, and and for 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 any type of narrative that pretend and that whitewashes that has missed the point. This is why when I hear people saying, "But all the looting out there," I go, "Yeah, so what?" I'm not saying that it's right. I'm saying that you have to understand where it's coming from. They should stop looting, and maybe black people should just not decide for for today that I'm only going to shop in black shop, shops, right? What I, what I think should happen is let's have this conversation. Maybe if we go to the store and they treat us badly, let's, let's engage them. Let's say, look, I'm here. I, every month I spend money in your store. What are you doing to show me respect? Well, that's what I think they're doing. Yeah, they're trying to support people who are supporting their cause. Um, it's not just black stores. But now, the other piece of this that I wanted to mention too, I think that there's really something to be said for anybody listening today. Um, I want you to look up the word equanimity because I think that this is a very, very key part of moving forward is, is not looking at people around us as being above or below us, not looking at ourselves, 
as being above or below somebody else. And also having that looking internally, it's not just looking externally and seeing the equality of what's out there. It's also looking internally and not allowing yourself to get caught up with what Cash called the inner stories that are going on in our mind about what is. Equanimity is also an internal concept and equanimity basically means that we're not getting carried away by our thoughts, grabbed by the scruff of the neck and taken away like a somebody who's who's not making decisions rationally, yeah. but yeah, is being biased. taken away by the stories in their head. We need to question those stories in our head. We need to actually start treating those with more of, a, of an equal disposition so that we're not getting out of sorts and angry and losing our temper with people that we perceive that there are differences with, but instead we need to temper ourselves. This is an internal job, folks. This is an inside job. And this is something that every single person who hears this and every person that, that knows somebody who hears this needs to take as, um, as something uh, of a challenge for themselves. They need to try to find their own equanimity internally and externally. What do you think of that, Cash? Well, listen, uh, um, if, if, if that's nothing we've learned up to this point, notwithstanding the pandemic, is that we all have some unique qualities and unique capabilities and capacity value capacities that 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 needs and requires us to work together. Then we fail the test. Right. Yeah. That's, yeah. That's, that's exactly the test. And, and, and you're absolutely right that that our our every action that we have at least from a legal perspective except for people who have lost control of their minds and are acting robotically every action usually starts from a thought process what the thought process is who is this why am i dealing with them and why does my action matter how much is that necessary right how consi consideration consideration right. that's all yeah. Consideration. So I totally agree with you. I understand why it is necessary to do that, but we must do that, knowing very well that it's not only to, to make other people f do better in our communities, but it makes us a better people. Yes. It really is. If, if you spend less time worrying about me being a danger to you, you would find some of the most fun, exciting things about me. Yeah. Like seriously, if you it's amazing how much when you stop thinking about or being afraid about somebody, how much you see the humanity and the beauty that exists and that 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 which allows us to work in in, in such a beautiful collaborative sense that advances all our courses, right? It has, I mean, this pandemic, for example, is a, it's a good way to segue into how this pandemic creates this, this, this sort of a template for us to work with. When a pandemic came, the pandemic didn't just target, and some people would have loved to call it the Chinese pandemic, right? Right? Yeah, the is. Italian pandemic, right? The European pandemic. No, the pandemic doesn't give a fuck about those things. <laughs> No, seriously, not just any. There's no first they told us, to No, first they told us that they told us that yeah, it was yeah. it was old people who were gonna die quickly. No. And at some point, some some idiotic leadership somewhere in the Texas neighborhood suggested that maybe we should let all the old people go out and work, they, they're gonna die anyways. Another story, another debate. Oh another yeah, time. yeah. Right. But but the the one thing the pandemic has shown is that if we all work together, if we pull our resources, if we all play by the same rules and we treat each other as if we already have the pandemic, right? If we treat each other as if we are all black, if we absolutely look at each other and say, we don't want, you know, somebody was asked recently or a teacher or an educator, full room full of students, white students, asked the audience, and ask so loudly, I can't remember the name precisely, but somebody was probably going to put it in the comment below. They ask the audience, which one of the people in the auditorium, all white of them, would feel, be, 
would be okay being treated like a black person. Nobody raised their hands. Yeah. Okay? If you want to understand why sometimes racism has nothing to do with, you know, somebody being different, it has everything to do with the experiences people have. Nobody in that room put their hands up. And he said, perhaps you guys didn't understood the question that I asked. My invitation to you is raise your hands if you're going to be okay being treated like a black person. So we have one of the chief of police in New York recently had, this has gone viral, was angry about how all of a sudden the press is treating the police people as, as animals and thugs. And every black person who has been treated like an animal and thugs, right? It's like, yeah, now you know how we feel. Because it's not funny. That stuff is not funny. When you, when you don't know if you're going to survive, when you don't know you're going to survive a traffic infraction, oh. when you're more scared about making it home, when fathers are sending their, their black kids down saying, here's what you do when a policeman stop you. Yeah. Nobody should feel, nobody should feel safe. Yeah. Not even if you are not black. Monumental call for change. You know, I was thinking about how I would attack this issue if I had to do it on my own. There's no way I could have ever, ever brought the types of powerful conversation to bear that you and I together have actually accomplished here today. I'm actually pretty proud of what we've talked about. And it, it is a good demonstration of the Oreo cookie principle, isn't it, right? Black <laughs> well, and white so is actually you, better together. Right, you have answered the question, right? Because <laughs> you, asked me, you asked me initially, uh, and this is your words, and I, maybe I'm paraphrasing, but you can correct me if I'm wrong, you said, but Cash, I'm a white man. What can I contribute to this conversation? Right, yeah. There you go. That's your contribution right there. Cash, thank you so much for being part of this today. Thank you for bringing this conversation up, putting it out there for people to think about, to listen to, to hear it, not just to listen to, but to hear. I think that there's a lot more that we could say here, but we've, we've uh, for the sake of, um, well, brevity's out the window, but I mean, for the sake of containment, we better end it. Terry, but my friend, thank talk, you so brevity's much. Brevity's always out of the window. When right, I know, I know. But it's great to talk to you. Good to catch up Me with too. you again. And Me thank too. you so yeah. much for being here with us. Terry, let's, it's yeah. wonderful to speak with you. And uh, again, yeah. I'm, a, I'm a big, big fan of what you're putting out there because um, a, lot of, a lot of what empowers us, a lot of what motivates us is that in between the actions and the thought processes that we have that we miss, right? right. I have somebody once said to me, the most beautiful uh, uh, solutions lies in between the thought processes and silence yeah. and the conversations we have with people that are not usually agreeing with us. And we can have this conversation and, and I'm always available to have this conversation with you and anybody else on the basis that we need to have this conversation and we need to move past the conversation too. How can people find you cash if they're looking out to uh, have more of that well, conversation? I'm, uh, I'm still with uh, McKenna Law. That's uh, M-C-K-O-E-N-A-L-A-W, McKennaLaw.com. And uh, you can uh, hit me on Facebook, uh, on uh, Instagram, the same uh, uh, two words, McKenna Law, and type that in and you find me. Right on. I'll put it in the show notes as well. It's really good to see you. Good to talk with you. And I uh, can't wait until we uh, actually get to sit down on a patio and have a beer. We will. Soon. Yeah. Or, or <laughs> Thank you, Terry. Yeah. <laughs> and an Oreo cookie. I was going to say that, but I was just going to wait because no mud is going into that room, I can assure you. And uh, we will. <laughs> take care. Bye for now. Bye. Okay. Okay.